Welcome to episode number 32 of No Wristbands We Drink for Free. We're thrilled to have Lior Galil on the show. Lior is a senior staff writer for the Chicago Reader, covering the Chicago music scene in depth. He's also written for Pitchfork, Rollingstone.com, The Washington Post, and many more publications. We talk with him about how he got to Chicago, his career at The Reader, and what he loves about Chicago. As always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at No Wristbands. Also, please join our Facebook group and check out our website, NoWristbands.com. Thanks. All righty. Uh, thanks, everybody. Welcome back. My name is Mark Joyner. I'm joined, as always, with Papa Novak, and we are here today interviewing Lior Galil from The Reader. How are you today, Lior? I'm doing all right. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me. It's so nice to meet you guys. Of course. First of all, did we get your last name right? Uh, it's Galil, which Galil. You, you mostly, yeah, yeah. You, I'll, I'll give that to you. Um, yeah. Most people just stop at G and don't, <laughs> don't finish it. So. You know go. what? I'm, I'm like to think of myself as a bold person, so I was like, I'll shoot my shot. Yeah. To mess it up, you know, it'll make right. a fun introduction here. Uh, Lior, how are you today? I'm good. Uh, uh, you ever have one of those weekends where you're just like, oh man, that was. Uh, over too quickly uh, uh, is sort of where my brain my brain is just getting caught up to what day it is. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, anything noteworthy that you were up to this weekend, or you just like life happened and now we're on Monday? Uh, both and yeah, a little bit of that. And I threw out a first pitch at a Gary Railcats game. Yeah. yeah, I'm working on a story where I'm throwing out first pitches at minor league games, <laughs> which is uh, which is funny because. You know, if you go to a minor league game and you're there for the first pitches, there's usually like six people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I always think it's funny at like major league games, they have like six people throughout first pitches, but they really? call it the first pitch each time. <laughs> I didn't realize that happened at the majors, too. It's been a while since I've made it right when the first pitches happen. At a right. Major game, exactly. So. Yeah. Uh or where did you you fancy yourself a baseball player or was this like a nerve wracking thing to throw out the first pitch or should we wait to read the article? It's I mean, it was nerve wracking. This was this was I've done it twice now. Um, uh, and this is by far the worst of the two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I threw it way pat like my body was was moving and my brain was like, wait, is this happening? I guess this is happening. Um, I don't know why, why it went in, into that zone. But um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be good color for the story it's great to throw out a first pitch and do really poorly and then the person after you is like two feet tall and yeah. a child you know obviously and, and right uh, down the middle from like a foot away from the <laughs> uh, and, why couldn't that be me yeah exactly why did i have to you know go all the way to the mouth um yeah but it's fun like this is a fun project it's uh uh you know i i take all of my work seriously so it's fun to do something silly Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Every once in a while. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's one of our questions I wanted to ask you. So we're, we'll jump to that and we'll go work our way backwards. Sure. But like, okay. how how do you choose the subjects you write about? You know, you got Punkin' Donuts. You're writing about Jim's Grill. You do these deep dives on like very idiosyncratic things. How do you choose what you're writing about? That's really hard because I've a I've an ongoing document with my editor Philip Montoro. Um, of stories that just feature stories that I have come up with. And, you know, the one that I have for this year is like at least 10 pages long. Um, I come up with, you know, at least a half dozen stories per month. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, some of them are just like 
long form evergreen that I'm just looking for the right hook and right time to, to actually focus on it. Um, the Jim's grill story, uh, Jim's grill being a diner that served a mix of American classic American diner food and, and fusion Korean fusion food on Irving park. Um, it was the food issue. Uh, the food issue was coming up mm-hmm. and I had just read, uh, Bruce, Bruce, who you've had yeah. on your podcast, correct? Great yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I just read his, his memoir about cranky and, you know, it's in the first page. And I was like, this place sounds incredible. I wish I could have gone. <laughs> I want to talk to as many people as I can about this place. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, yo, sorry, go ahead. Go yeah. ahead. Go. No, mine was just an anecdote about myself. So <laughs> please, yes, let's hear it. Let's hear I was going to say, I lived like two or three blocks from there for six years after it closed. And I had never even heard about it until I read his book, then read your story. And I was like, damn, like <laughs> nothing was there. It's like an oasis, like a food oasis, right? Food desert rather. Yeah. Like, yeah right, right in that area. Unless you yeah. want Popeye's or, yeah. or, or diner grill. Yeah. Which I love, right. I like to call it dinner diner because the side says dinner <laughs> and the front says diner. And I, I do always want that. And you're fortunately you're close enough, right? <laughs> so, I know. So, so when you're doing these stories about places that don't exist anymore, I mean, you, you, you like did the one for, uh, um, you know, the, the start of punk in the Chicago area at the various clubs, La Mer, O'Banion, et cetera. Like how hard is it to track these people down? And, and, you know, I, I would assume many of them are very interested in talking, but uh, you know, telling their story. Yeah. It's um, uh, you know, fortunately I've been doing this long enough where I right. have yeah. people that I can reach out to Joe Lacerdo, who did the, uh, you weren't there documentary. Mm-hmm. about the beginning of chicago punk yes. I, you know i was um i'd asked him if he knew how to reach mike rivers who was one of the kind of main uh instigators for la Mer going mm-hmm. punk uh and who was actually not interviewed in the uh in in that story in that documentary mm-hmm. and he was like yeah i do i'll you know i'll i'll put you in touch um very kind about it uh and mike was gung-ho like mike generally didn't was not interested in doing many interviews, but because I was approaching it from the, from the aspect of like punk as an outgrowth of queer life in Chicago and of queer bars. Mm-hmm. He was like, this is, yeah, this is a story that I've been wanting to talk about for decades and nobody's talking mm-hmm. about. So that's, you know, uh, sometimes you approach a story with the right question and people are, or with a, a question that people have been dying to to talk about and that's how you get them right um with the you know with the jim's grill story i actually you know i talked to to bill who runs uh amidable um and who worked at jim's grill with his brother dave Mm -hmm. and bill was less interested in talking like he didn't he didn't (laughs) talk for the story dave you know dave was impossible to get a hold of often people just don't want to Mm -hmm. don't want to talk and then afterwards you know at the amidable instagram account like share the story they're like this is so great it's like oh cool I wish you, <laughs> you know i totally understand your apprehension yeah. i wish you would have talked but i'm glad you like it you know right. maybe not that it would have been better but it would have been different with them right yeah 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 the, i think it would have enriched the story in a different way i i still love the story i love how it came out uh it would have been tough to squeeze in another <laughs> another voice but obviously uh his was critical um uh and i you know i was able to, to actually get into that in the story too so yeah um yeah it's i mean i don't i've been doing this for a while i don't rely on traditional methods of writing about futures i don't i don't rely on a lot of publicists i do communicate with a lot of publicists i often when it comes to like writing show previews yeah that's how i you know that's how i hear stuff in advance so that i can write about it mm-hmm. um there are a lot of great publicists out there i don't you know uh i don't 
have i don't do work that is determined by the publicity cycle most of the time yeah and sometimes that is uh you know that is a facet of it and i you know that's just another source a publicist is another source but off <laughs> but I'm, well, I'm pretty comfortable with with reaching out to people outside and the, and, of the- and the publicist basically is just going to tell a story that they're sharing with everyone else you know you you want something unique yeah yeah exactly it i'm I forget the, is it New York Post reporter? The New York Post reporter who at John F. Kennedy's um, funeral went to the groundskeeper when everyone else is writing about the funeral and he went to the groundskeeper. Uh-huh. And that's, you know, that's kind of the approach. Like there's, um, I don't see myself necessarily in competition with with other mm-hmm. writers, but we are all informing the public. And if everyone's paying attention to this one corner, there's an entire world that you're missing. Right uh when that's when it's happening um so yeah i want to see the rest of the world um and i'm fortunately i get to write for a place that allows me to uh to do that yeah uh the reader is great and we'll get to the reader but yeah we're gonna get to that disservice by (laughs) jumping ahead now i'm gonna jump back so uh how old were you when you realized you wanted to be a writer and first of all did you grow up in chicago or did you grow up somewhere else I grew up in the suburbs of DC. I grew up in Bethesda, Maryland, which okay. is just yeah, over right the border. Across, yeah, mm-hmm. next yeah. to Chevy Chase. Oh no, Chevy Chase is uh, that's that's a little too close to. I shouldn't say too close to DC, but I was further out from Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase is kind of the Tony area. Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, I, I wasn't rich. I didn't grow up rich. I grew up middle class, uh, which you know, in in Bethesda is kind of. <laughs> We, we won't we don't have to get into that um uh yeah i grew up in bethesda maryland so i grew up with with access to all this incredible culture for free mm-hmm. you know my parents really taught uh really um wanted me and my sister to learn the value of art value not monetarily obviously but value of art as an enriching facet of of life and so i was the kid who when my friends had to go to a museum for school i was the one who went with them to be like yeah this is this is fun you know like mm-hmm. <laughs> i love this and and i absolutely did and as soon as i was interested in in music and popular music and music that was specifically made for young people i didn't have to worry about uh being underage uh because the all ages punk movement that started before you know i was born had uh had pretty much made all ages shows in dc uh you know the the status quo it was mm-hmm really great to be able to go to a 930 club when I was in middle school <laughs> um, <laughs> to see to see new metal shows um, which Hell is yeah. what I was into in middle school <laughs> uh, and I was able to you know um, I I saw the last US Fugazi show at Fort Reno which is a free Whoa. summer concert series which is like three metro stops away from where That's I amazing. grew up mm-hmm. yeah like um, uh, it's great whenever I do go back there and it corresponds with like a Fort Reno show. I always, I always go see it. I think the last one I went to is priests right before the first album came out. Um, oh, wow. but I saw like Ted Leo play there in high school with the evens. And I think it was mm-hmm. one of the first evens shows. It was before they put out their first album. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I was, I tell people I was spoiled and I was because I had all <laughs> this access to like amazing culture and it right. was right there. Um, yeah. And further out in the suburbs, I mean, I saw Chuck Brown, who's uh, the godfather of Go-Go, um, uh, perform in, you know, in a park in Silver Spring. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, when I was in high school, like that's, uh, yeah, it was it was incredible to, to grow up where I did. Um, but I, I went to Brandeis for undergrad and uh, that was in, in high school. I started getting interested in writing a little bit and it was always about culture. It was about film. It was about music. Mm-hmm. Um, and at Brandeis, I got kind of further into that, but I 
did way too much uh extracurriculars journalism wasn't <laughs> like the focus i uh my deep dark secret is i was in an improv group uh, uh yeah so that's how you got to chicago that's that is actually not how i got to chicago <laughs> a bunch of uh, a bunch of friends of mine you're, from undergrad you're supposed to yes and that yes right? and yeah damn yeah. see that this is this is why it's my dark deep dark secret i wasn't good at it yeah <laughs> um uh yeah, it's yeah. I mean, improv taught me a lot of of. I think I think about some of the skills that I picked up in improv, and it's helped me as an interviewer and as a mm-hmm. listener. Um, uh, but I also, me and a friend, uh, Ethan Foyer, in ju- my junior year, his senior year, he got kind of handed the keys to these two clubs that were supposed to book shows and were pretty much not functioning anymore. And he's like, "We're gonna do this. Like, we're gonna book." shows for our coffee house which is in the castle there was a castle on campus and the coffee house was at the the bottom of a turret um in a dorm Mm -hmm. uh and uh it was called chums uh the on tours at brandeis they would tell everyone that you know the creators of friends met at brandeis which is true and chums was the basis for the coffee house on friends which is Mm -hmm. untrue regardless (laughs) we need to get those students enrolled right they did need it yeah yeah (laughs) we um so yeah, we, you know, we combined these, these two clubs, we rallied a bunch of students to be like, Hey, you can book shows. None of us had an idea what we're doing. We didn't know how to get <laughs> money for it. We, the people, the student government folks were actually like really kind and, and, uh, kind of showed us the ropes and how to raise and how to like convince them to give us money, mm-hmm. uh, to book shows. And so our first, our first show was a K records tour. Um, it was Mount Erie headlining, oh, wow. um, uh, D plus open Carl Blau open Calvin Johnson open. Um, wow. and they showed up and, you know, in a beat up car and it was, <laughs> you know, we crammed like 250 people into a room that's supposed to legally fit a hundred people. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Uh, and it just like, we somehow, you know, because we're at a college and we can get mm-hmm. money guaranteed and we were putting on shows for free. Um, we were able to like get some some pretty interesting acts. We got Girl Talk in the fall of 2006. Yeah, it was the fall wow. of 2006. Is that, uh, that Night Ripper? Is that the first? Yeah, it was the Night Ripper era. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so he, yeah, it's funny. He, uh, most of most of the acts that we booked, you know, we couldn't we could get get them like some guarantees, but we couldn't put them up in a hotel or any or anything. So <laughs> several of the bands like crashed at friends' places, friends who lived off campus, and. Mm-hmm. Girl Talk stayed in our, uh, yeah, Greg stayed in our friend Courtney's house. Um, and like a few weeks later, Man Man came through and played and they also stayed at Courtney's house. And they, <laughs> when those guys crashed in a room, they were like, there's a funny smell here. And they found a carton of milk that we figured out Greg had left in her closet for weeks. <laughs> um, how how uh, Courtney didn't didn't uh, notice that smell is right. you know, kind of beyond me. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, uh, I really I really loved doing that, and I also hated doing that. You know, it was a, it was a huge commitment, and it took mm-hmm. a lot out of me. But you know, by the end, I got Ian McKay to come do a Q and A. Um, Sweet. My last my last semester, which is great. I mean, totally. Yeah. Like there was a there was like a two month period where I was calling him weekly to be like, all right, here's here's kind of the updates on this, and he'd be like, all right, the plumber is coming in an hour so i can't talk and you know like <laughs> shit like that which is really uh-huh, funny. Uh-huh. um and it was cool to, that he got in front of a room of people like you know half of them were strangers who just came to see ian for obvious reasons and the other half right. were friends of mine and he was just like this guy was the easiest person to like collaborate to like set up a show with and i was like whoa this is incredible <laughs> like uh-huh. I, yeah i 
this is all I do in music. That's great. And, you know, fortunately it, 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 it wasn't, um, uh, I had, a my senior year, I had a professor, uh, Wayne Marshall, who was, uh, doing a two year stint at Brandeis, um, who's an incredible ethnomusicologist and also, a, a, yeah, an incredible writer. Um, and I took two classes with him and just like, I mean, he, he really opened me up to electronic music in ways that I hadn't been like, he's the person who I first heard about footwork from. Uh, and he, he, you know, he ran his own blog and he, he showed me the value of writing as a, as a method of like thinking out loud and writing for yourself as a method of like developing your interest and voice and like, you know, seeing, seeing where your taste guide you and and what to make of it. Mm -hmm. And so I started blogging, uh, for myself after that. I also had a peer, um, my my senior thesis, uh, I, I was an American studies major and me and this kid, Scott, were thesis partners and he had to drop out because he was just getting so busy. He ran uh, his own website where he predicted Oscars. He predicted the winners of Oscars. Oh, wow. Uh, and our junior year, he correctly predicted all but two winners. Wow. And he was wow. written up. Yeah, he was written up in Vanity Fair and I believe the New York Times. And as soon as we graduated, he, you know, he got a job with the LA Times. He's I think he's an editor at The Hollywood Reporter now. Um, but yeah, also, you know, Scott, you know, Scott plugging away at something for like years that he, that he cared a lot about Mm -hmm. and that I don't think a lot of critics are necessarily, I know a lot of film critics don't think much of that, but he's, he's well-respected in the field and this like very strange, you know, subsection of culture journalism, like, uh, actors and directors gamblers are, love him, right? Yeah. Gamblers do love him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, you know, uh, yeah, Scott and, and Wayne, they showed me the, you know, the value of, of doing that for yourself mm-hmm. more than anything. So I started my own blog as soon as I graduated, because just like, there's no journalism jobs. Yeah. Uh, what, what year are we talking here? This is 2000. I graduated in 2008 and okay. within six months, you know, there was a great recession. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So not a great I time to graduate. Yeah. Not a great time to graduate. I very fortunately got an AmeriCorps gig um, gig. I, yeah. I was an AmeriCorps volunteer after I graduated, which was a really enriching experience. And mm-hmm. I also, you know, um, it also gave me free time to write for myself. Mm-hmm. And then I started writing for, I was living in Boston and I, uh, I started writing for Bostonist, um, which was great. And, you know, uh, again, gave me the chance to think out loud and also got me into concerts that I wouldn't have been able to afford to get into because AmeriCorps, you're a volunteer and you're paid, yeah. uh, below you're paid below the poverty line so that you can experience what it's like, you know, um, living in under, you know, uh, under the poverty line. Uh, and you know, Bostonist didn't pay. So, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I got one paying gig before I finished my AmeriCorps, but I didn't cash the check until after I finished AmeriCorps to ensure that I, you know, uh, I stuck, stuck to the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did. That's punk. I mean, I also, yeah. yeah, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing the, the yeah, I, I landed my first freelance pitch with the Boston Phoenix RIP, the great all weekly out in, out in Boston about, mm-hmm. um, crunk core, which I was going <laughs> by the name Skrunk, but I found that a totally fascinating <laughs> phenomenon. And it was so fun to be able to write at length about that. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to, you know, I wanted to write for the Phoenix, you know, the mm-hmm. money was, uh, once I could ch- cash that check was great, but it wasn't the, you know, at the end, the end goal, it was the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. It, uh, and you were like, you were in college out there in Boston. Uh, that's where Brandeis is, right? Or like, yeah, yeah. I was in the yeah. suburbs of Boston and then okay. I moved into the city after I graduated. Okay. Yeah. Um, so like, I'm sure that alt weekly, the Phoenix probably meant a ton to you being like, yeah, it's still me. I gotta yeah. get in that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm amazed that I did get in that. And I continued writing for them a little bit when I came, I came out here for grad school. I went to Northwestern for, yep. for journalism school. So that's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what brought me okay. out, out here. What um, uh what in you at that like the the time between grad school AmeriCorps and graduating when were you like writing is going to be my thing like I want to go to grad school for writing I want to be a writer well you know when I applied to grad school it was I applied to some journalism programs and I applied to some American studies program PhD programs which like mm-hmm. again we're talking great recession that was not like a a high in demand program <laughs> so a lot sure. of the programs that I applied to drastically cut their funding um so they were admitting you know, half of what they did. Mm-hmm. Whereas journalism Northwestern increased the volume of students that they, that they admitted. I was part of the largest class that they had admitted wow. at that point. Um, uh, and I was waitlisted, which, you know, whatever, uh, in my, I did like a follow-up interview with them to be like, Hey, my scores are, are terrible, but that's just because I'm testing and you can see that I'm able to complete full sentences. Like I'm not, <laughs> you know, I'm not, uh, as illiterate as my, you know, language scores. <laughs> suggest I am. Well, they agreed with you. They let you they, in, right? Yeah. They did let me in. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't know that I could do this at all. Um, and I had been told by almost everyone, by almost every facet of like applying to jobs when, you know, mm-hmm. before I got my AmeriCorps job that, uh, you couldn't, you couldn't get there. There weren't journalism jobs. There certainly right, weren't. Yeah culture journalism jobs there certainly yeah. weren't music journalism jobs right so i'd always approached it from the position as like well i will be lucky if i can mm-hmm. get a story published i mm-hmm. want to try to do this i want to try to do this i will see how far this takes me um so somehow i'm still <laughs> still yeah. here you know well we're we're all for the better for it right i hope so that's yeah, yeah. that's sort of the you know the the main you know main point is uh is to inform the public about what's happening and yeah. i hope that i'm doing that you know i do um i love i love my retrospective retrospective stories i sometimes worry like you know whenever i do one of those i am not focusing on something that is current mm-hmm. and i'm I'm always writing about things that are happening currently i'm writing show previews all the time i'm you mm-hmm. know i co-write gossip with jr nelson like there's i'm never not writing about the present but i yeah i sometimes worry that like am i Am I not looking somewhere? And you can't yeah. look everywhere all the time. Is, mm-hmm. is is the one of the rationalizing things? But also, I'm writing about things that never got any right. attention. And uh, I think with the interest in showing what that means now, because there's, you know, especially with culture, there's always reverberations, and you can't necessarily you could feel them, but you don't know where they're coming from. So if I'm able totally. to illustrate that, that that is all for the better. Yeah, it's um, it's. I I think it's also kind of cool to. I mean, if you're talking about writing a retrospective, like you're telling it sort of a complete story, versus if something is ongoing, it's like you don't really know where it's going to go, how it's going to end, whatever. So, exactly, yeah. And there's something exciting about both. You know, there's yeah, something exciting right. about like seeing seeing you know coming in mid chapter into a, a an artist development and figuring out what matters to them and you're always going to miss something but mm-hmm. you know what you learn after the story comes out is always you know it helps write the next one yeah i can so when you when you move to chicago like what is your understanding knowledge of the chicago music scene are you like 
I, I don't want to like pigeonhole you, but you, you like punk music. Uh, were you like, hell yeah, Fireside, Chicago, I love it. Or are you like, I was, I was I like, I'll learn more about it. Uh, I was like, the Kinsellas are from here. Yes. You know, they were, <laughs> they were, they were a myth to me. You know, they, was, they didn't fucking exist as far as I was concerned. Uh, I couldn't believe that they were real. You know, like, um, uh, I think Joan of Arc played in Boston twice when I was there. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, like they, they, it just, it was something that I wasn't connected. You know, I was, I had yeah. an emotional attachment to it, but well, I didn't. you're not a true Chicagoan unless you've seen one of the Kinsellas, right? Yeah. And at this point I can, you know, uh, I can, I can hit up Tim, I can hit up Mike and I, I can, you know, I, yeah. they, they are people that like, I know, and that know what I look like and know <laughs> that I love ice cream. You know, that's sort of the, I, <laughs> the, uh, the year that American football played, um, pitchfork, I got a text from Mike being like, Hey, where do you get the ice cream? you know so that's sort of the level the level that that we're at um uh yeah you know i knew some some aspects of chicago music but not to the degree you know i think i yeah my my impressions were limited by my kind of limited understanding of of music at the time Mm -hmm. um i knew pitchfork was based out of here you know things like that like very Mm -hmm. i think i think chin up chin up was like a uh kind of a a a sense of gave me a sense of, of place like these were chicago bands that i knew of the ponies i had gotten really mm-hmm. into um yeah, my junior band. year of college when they put that matador album out like yeah i knew i knew some of it but i couldn't necessarily connect it to a sense of place or sensibility it was it was just music that i listened to mm-hmm. um not necessarily in a passive way but my understanding was like basic at best sure you know yeah and Wilco, yeah, every, you know, Wilco, you know, everyone, <laughs> they played, they played my fall freshman year at Brandeis, which was really cool. Um, Hell yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Well, you wouldn't be a, a Chicagoan or an adopted Chicagoan if you hadn't seen Wilco at some point, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that set me up. Uh, so how you, you go to grad school, how do you end up at the reader? Um, I, I mean, I picked up the reader almost as soon as I could because I'd like, mm-hmm. I'd been reading the reader, you know, I've been longtime fan of of jessica hoppers i interviewed her for my first freelance story you know like okay. the, the reader i was something that i had a long held fondness for even at at a like a faraway distance i'd read the reader sometimes you know uh on like on my own on you know uh i just knew that it existed i knew that they published cool shit um <laughs> cool shit mm-hmm. i knew that they did great work and so i sought it out as soon as i moved here i moved to lincoln park so there were boxes in spitting mm-hmm. distance. I was able to get get a copy, and because I was um, commuting to Evanston and commuting downtown to classes, it meant that I always could pick up a copy uh, of uh, you know, like as soon as a new one came out. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to pitch. I wanted to pitch the readers as as often as I could, and I finally came up with a story that uh, Philip, my editor, responded to me in forty five minutes when I pitched wow. him, which was like unbelievable. Like I I couldn't. <laughs> couldn't have imagined such a thing you know <laughs> what did you pitch um, him i pitched him a story about this diy space called strange light that was in a former moped shop in one of the storefronts of the congress theater uh and i'd gone to a bunch of shows there and i actually did some grad school projects uh i did i interviewed um uh algernon cabwood ladder when they were doing a, oh hell yeah yeah oh, uh, that band. 
yeah they were uh they were you know they were performing there that winter and i I had to do like a video storytelling and i hit up peter in advance i was like hey can i do an interview like a video interview with you about like Mm -hmm. you know making your own merch um and he was really you know really up for it which was really nice um and i got to like stand behind them as they performed so i yeah there's like a youtube video that i put up that Everyone's all get a comment being like, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Are you surprised that they've res- resonated as much as they have? Like, I mean, they just got back together and did that reunion tour, and they put, which is sold out the Metro, cool. right? Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They headlined Metro. I love that they did that. Um, yeah. I'm not that surprised because they, they could draw 300 kids to a basement, mm-hmm. in, you know, mm-hmm. in 2010, in 2000. Yeah. No, I saw them in 2009 for the first time. And yeah, they, they drew people in like bitter cold, uh, you know, uh, it, I mean, what they were doing definitely struck a chord and especially as emo, as that style of emo was starting to get more popular, Mm -hmm. of course, Mm -hmm. and they were practically inaccessible beyond their recordings. It made sense that people would kind of flock to them and, and continue to, uh, to love their shit. Um, so yeah, I, I think I was fortunate to see how much people adored them when they were active the first time. Yeah. Um, I think what's confusing is seeing like Peter's other, like I'd seen Peter play in other bands since then, mm-hmm. play to like 50 people, um, uh, which was Dogs on Acid was great. And I was always confused. Like, <laughs> why am I like one of a handful of people at this sure. vacation show? This sounds great. Like, where is mm-hmm. everyone? Um, then That's, Joe goes the other way, right? Does, yes. Gets and hop along and they just yeah. keep going up and up. Which was also fantastic to see. Yeah. I love, yeah, I love that. Yeah. I remember when he joined Hop Along, I was like, wow, this is like a super group. And yeah, right. <laughs> everyone I know being like, what are you talking about? Except for like the people already plugged into that and were like, yeah, it's cool. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I forgot the, the question that led us here. No, no. You're like, it was, how'd you end up at the reader? Like, right. did you choose, were you like, oh, yes. I want to work for the reader or like, yeah, they I was approached like, I, you. I want to write for the reader. And so, uh, yeah, I published, so I pitched that story. Um, I sort of based on my experience pitching for the Phoenix, I had a pretty good idea of when a good time to pitch an all weekly was the amount of advanced time I should give an editor, especially as a, you know, uh, with a cold pitch, um, mm-hmm. and it worked out, you know, I gave, I gave my editor, like I gave Philip two months advance notice. Um, and that helped. And actually in my program, I was on the magazine track at, uh, at Northwestern and, um, our, f- our final quarter, we had a project where they set you up with a local publication to like help revision it, you know, reimagine what it was. And we got the reader and I was, I was <laughs> oh. stoked. I was so yes. excited. serendipity um, right there. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Um, and the first issue that we went through in that class was the best of Chicago, which had my story. And one of the teachers was like, what is this bullshit on page, you know, 92? And, and it was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, God, damn. you know, like, well, I had already had that teacher. So he had a familiarity with all, all the sure. students and, and he was just joshing me. Uh-huh. Was, but I was it was pretty cool that that uh, that that was the case. And I just I just kept pitching Philip. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I graduated in August 2010. I kept pitching Philip. I kept pitching. I started writing for the AV Club Chicago, which was like paying mm-hmm. my rent. Uh, Mara yeah. Eakin, shout out to Mara Eakin. Um, uh, yeah, I, I decided to stick around Chicago after grad school for, I gave myself a year just to see, could I make this work? Like, could Uh I make freelancing? Could I do freelance journalism? Um, because the other option was to move to DC, 
and just like stay at my parents' place, <laughs> which was obviously not like the, you know, I love my parents. That was not the appealing <laughs> option. Um, yes. Whereas you, Chicago. You don't have to stay anymore. We get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, also if, you know, um, if you're from the East Coast and you come to Chicago, it's like, wow, things are inexpensive here. Like this, yeah, is, right? this is affordable. And mm -hmm. I was like, <laughs> I didn't have to pay any of my loans for like six months or so, you know, that you know, mm -hmm. I just, yeah, got an out of grad school. So I, I had like a, a window of time where I was like, I can, I can try to make a living. I was paying, I think 450 in rent, 425. Amazing. I, I mean, it was a shithole where, where my room and I were living, <laughs> but it, it served, you know, it served its purpose. It allowed yeah. me to, to pursue this. Um, and I almost took a job with legacy.com as a comment moderator, which uh, if you're familiar with legacy.com, it sound is, like the most uplifting of jobs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Moderating comments on obituaries is not. Yeah. Uh, 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 and around the same about time, a dead end job. Yeah. Much. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Around the same time, I, uh, the reader, um, Wet Moser was leaving the reader for Chicago Mag, and he was helping Philip edit some of the music section, which was like huge at that at that time. Yeah, mm -hmm. section three. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was massive. Yeah. Um, and so the reader was was looking for a contract music editor to just kind of help help with that lift. And Wet reached out to me because he really liked uh, one of my freelance pieces for them, and he was like, "Hey, you should apply." So I did, and. Um, you know, I remember going to the office at one point in the process and the it, the interim editor-in-chief at the time is this guy named Jeff. I'm forgetting his last name. I'm so sorry, Jeff. Uh, but I walked <laughs> in and he brought me to Philip's office and he was like, all right, there you go. And Philip was like, well, I guess I guess we're going to start doing this. So I, right. like, that was my first day working as a contract editor for the reader. Um, and so since then, I was in like various roles as mm -hmm. a contract worker until I got hired in the fall of 2012 as a part-timer. And I just kind of like kept fighting my way in mm -hmm. from, from those various points. So it was <clears throat> slow, but steady progress. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was tough. There was a point where there was like a, you know, a period between when I came on as a contract editor and when I got hired where the freelance budget got cut like five mm -hmm. times. And so I was, uh, I was living a little lean in terms of like what I was able to make from the reader, but I was doing some other freelance work that like helped mm -hmm. keep me afloat, but it was, it, it was a little tough for a while. Um, not that, you know, all weeklies pay great pay, you know, pay well, but, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's stable on his health insurance. So that's, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Well, yeah. and that, yeah. yeah, there's this, I've been reading on Twitter, uh, when, you know, cause they're a little bubble of Twitter, but I've been reading this discourse lately about like how, not glamorous it is to be a freelance writer i don't know how because i'm not a writer but somehow i'm finally finding it and it, i have to commend you not to like blow smoke up your butt but like it's impressive that you you wrote it out like just reading somebody's talking about like oh with insurance and like you know not living paycheck to paycheck is a very scary thing for a lot of people it's brutal and you know yeah. you don't get compensated for the labor that you spend pitching stories right. like that yeah. is and that is a lot of time and effort and like energy that goes into that. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I don't know that I could do that now. Like, you know, I, I, yeah, I just, I freelance from time to time, but it's stories that I get thrown my way. You know, mm -hmm. I, I also don't necessarily have a lot of free time. That's um, great to be around the bend on that. And people are pitching you now, right? Yeah. Yeah. But like the, you know, the the state of media right now like the opportunities for music journalism that are available it's just like 
it's negligent. It's really mm-hmm. upsetting mm-hmm. Um, as a reader and as a writer. Like I sure. want there, there's so yeah. much happening. Why isn't there more? Um, right. It's is sort of my perspective. And also there's so many incredible writers in the city alone that I think, you know, could, uh, could use like full-time work in this field. Like, or we could use as, as yeah. people who live here. And, uh, totally. and, and so many bands and clubs and things that, that, that could be written about. And, yeah. you know, when you, when you go online and, you know, it's like, oh, there's this new band. I'm going to, I'm going to see what people are writing about them. Most of them are like the three paragraph quick summary of their history and their current record or something. Like there's, 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 there are very few in-depth pieces. It's yeah, which is really tough because a yeah. lot of those, a lot of those acts are, I think, worth worth that space like make something that is that is challenging and thoughtful mm-hmm. and uh and take up a certain space in their communities that sure. is worth documenting at length right it's hard yeah. <laughs> it's really yeah. hard <laughs> so uh, do you so it, do, you, do you still have to do a lot of pitching of ideas or oh know? yeah I'm, okay I'm, yeah i'm constantly yeah i had that doc that i share with my editor where mm-hmm. I, it's just like you know a lot of ideas whenever it's time to pitch show previews i'm you know i i usually come up with 10 shows and i'm like oh fuck which like three mm-hmm. Pardon, is it okay mm-hmm. if i curse oh yeah oh of course okay. fuck more yeah, the, yeah more the better yeah 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 uh, yeah i usually you know it's like oh i gotta choose like just three for this for this period of time like that's mm-hmm. that's sort of the hard part um and then you know whatever free you know free quote-unquote free time outside of the newsletter outside of gossip pulse you know i try to write in addition to that and sometimes that takes the form of writing obituaries which you know i think are, are really enriching on their own but that takes mm-hmm. up so much time it's hard to balance everything mm-hmm. um yeah yeah so yeah i'm constantly pitching it is sort of the- <laughs> uh and how often are you going to shows like you're writing about shows you write about music all the time are you like every night of the week you're at a show uh, well up until you- march of 2020 there were weeks <laughs> where i would go to four shows a week wow um i've only really started going back to indoor shows uh the past couple months mm-hmm. um and two of two of those have been music box screenings that had a like a live music element so i saw mm-hmm. bitch and bajas uh yeah. open uh sun a screening of sunrise space is the place and, and then, then I saw Joan the, of Arc, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Joan of Arc, reunion, which was, <laughs> which was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to go to that. I was out of town. Oh, it was, it was great. Uh, and it was and also who knows if we'll see. ever get another Joan of Arc reunion. You know, I know, especially knowing what Tim. Yeah, Tim. You know, yeah. uh, Tim is is his own muse. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. exactly. Um, but yeah, I you know, the, my wife and I went to see the Mount Erie slash microphones, Phil Elvrum mm-hmm. set at old town school of folk music. I think that's two months ago now. And that was like, that was my first official show back. Um, so infrequently lately. And, you know, uh, I don't know that if, if I was going to shows at a more regular pace, like, you know, I'm 37 now. I also work a lot and I, I've sure. recently taken on freelance work that like has me pushing like my, you know, I'm sitting in front of a computer all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have the, you know, the five hours available mm-hmm. to me to go see a show. So that's, sure. um, yeah, my life has altered slightly because of the pandemic and also just like, mm-hmm. I'm fucking older, you know, I can't, <laughs> I can't do four shows a, a yeah, week. Anymore. I hear you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, it's tough, but, um, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's weird. It's weird to, um, to write about live music and also not be, 
logged in in the way that I once was. Um, but also, you know, live reviews are not something that we've traditionally do that often. So that's like, sure. it's not like right. I'm, uh, it's not like I'm being negligent about my work. Has, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, has, has, you know, writing about music changed the way you experience live music when you, you know, when you go out to see a show? I mean, you, are you thinking about it from a writer perspective or, you know, do you get jaded because you, you know, experienced more than most, whatever. So. No, that's a good question. I, um, I, I, a lot of times when I go to a show, when the performance is happening, I am plug. I'm not like, I'm not necessarily like focused in on something that I want to write about because mm-hmm. that then it's labor, then it's work. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not there to work. I'm there yeah. because I love <laughs> sure. music. Yeah. Um, and if I am there to work, then that's obviously a different experience. We do occasionally run live reviews. Um, but yeah, that totally changes, changes the dynamic of what I'm there for. Mm-hmm. I, you know, that is that is a handicap now is because i'm going to shows less often i'm able to i would sometimes get story ideas going from shows that's like Mm -hmm. an obvious benefit of being out in the world and and you know you run into people and they're just like hey i'm working on this and you're like oh tell me more Mm -hmm. um you know that's that is that is so easy it's also nice to not uh not feel like i'm on the clock uh yeah when Mm -hmm. i'm at when I'm at an event, but you know, I also, I love being in Chicago and going to shows in Chicago because I doesn't feel like I'm on the clock. I see people that I write about and it feels like I'm part of a community Yeah, uh, because I am. And they're people that mm-hmm. I know. They're people. I know their name. You know, they know my name. We can, sure. we can ask them how their life is. It doesn't Mike have can to ask you where your ice cream or, is, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah. that is, uh, that is what I love about doing this is that I, I don't feel like I'm writing to, empty clicks it's it's i'm writing to people who are also have that sense of care in in attending live music and in supporting local music and in being part of the broader scene um even if they don't, can't tell mike where mm-hmm. to find the ice cream right right <laughs> yeah well uh a, lo- a lot well, of time a lot of times on our shows we're, you know when we're talking to bands we talk about you know what they like about the chicago music scene and and you know oftentimes that are talking about the camaraderie of you know bands get along and share and all of that what's it like from the from the music writing community um you know is there other writers that you regularly engage with um uh, is, is is that a, a something that's cooperative or is, yeah, every, is there like you know, a secret Chicago music writer group chat? <laughs> sure. No, if there is, I'm not part of it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I think people are here. People here are generally pretty supportive. I mean, you know, I mentioned Jessica Hopper and she really helped me feel welcome when I moved here. Mm-hmm. She gave me advice on where to, like, I was like, I don't know where to live. And she was like telling me places, what the neighborhoods were. And like, it was, so mm-hmm. it was I know a great $450 apartment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, you know, it is encouraging being, being here. Um, and in a way that that has helped me, you know, I, I like to encourage other people to, to write, to pitch and to, obviously I, I am selfish and I ask them to pitch us. Mm -hmm. Um, and I kind of prod people to pitch us when I like what they're writing, but Mm -hmm. it feels generally supportive, uh, which is again, the frustrating thing is there's a lack of an infrastructure available for young writers. Um, and I wish I could do more for them beyond just being like, Hey, I think, I think my editor would really like to hear from you. Uh, (laughs) You know, (laughs) sure. Um, uh, that's so, um, yeah, it feels, it feels good in that, in that regard to be a part of 
of this city and i hope that i'm doing my part um to to help bring in more people and make them feel like they can contribute whether or not they have a byline mm-hmm. i tell people you know whether or not you have any experience if you have an idea and you know how to put words together in a sentence in a way that like will grab me then you've you've got it like you're yeah. you're that's like more than half of the trouble of sure. <laughs> of it yeah being able sure. to, to like come up with ideas and write co- like coherently is your your gold yeah. yeah now have you always had that passion for helping other helping the little guy grow or is that do you think kind of born out of being at the reader for you know almost 13 years or 13 years now um like I think supporting obviously like alt weeklies yeah obviously now that i'm like the old guard which is a weird thing to say uh-huh. <laughs> um, that that i uh that is much more of a like an ingrained responsibility feeling mm-hmm. but i always like helping other people who wanted to do this in part because i couldn't have done gone where i did without the support of other people mm-hmm. um uh i i learned how to pitch from uh this guy james parker who was writing at the boston phoenix and now he, i think he's at the atlantic i don't know if he's still there but he was writing at the boston phoenix at the time and he was friends with this woman ingrid shore who was working at brandeis arts and culture like she had just gotten hired my senior year and she put james in touch with me when i booked ian mckay to come talk because he mm-hmm. really wanted to go he wrote mm-hmm. a, a biography of henry rollins by that point um i forget how nice. she met how he met ingrid ingrid uh ingrid is super cool on her own um uh but the factoid that like i think has followed her throughout her life i don't say think i know um <laughs> she dated peter buck and uh the song you're never going back to rockville again is about her okay uh, oh wow okay so, that's, a, that's a good fun fact yeah, it is a good fun yeah. fact yeah and that uh and when she she joined the staff at brandeis the student paper like pointed that out she's the fucking coolest I, her dad <laughs> i think is like a pretty well-known composer he passed away a year or two ago um uh but she was so so amazing and supportive and yeah put me in touch with james parker and so mm-hmm. he told he, like he went out of his way to show me how to pitch a story mm-hmm. um specifically to the phoenix and i couldn't have done it without his mm-hmm. insight and if i can do that for other people i'm willing to, to i'm more than happy to do that I, I have students who reach out to me like how do i do this and i try to make the time and answer questions for them because like you know there's so many challenges there's so many roadblocks to get into writing mm-hmm. but if i can like elite you know alleviate any of those roadblocks or like push them out of the way or make it easier for one person to do that we're all better for it because everyone's gonna have yeah. a different idea of of what's a good story and they're gonna find stuff that i can't or that i don't necessarily think is interesting and they'll show me that i'm wrong you know what i mean like that's <laughs> yeah, sure yeah. um you know uh no I, I open-minded yeah exactly i you know shit is bad now i don't want to to like i don't want to send anyone down a, a career path mm-hmm. that is like way that you know with like rose-colored glasses like uh yeah. but i do think that there's still opportunities for people to who want to write one story or who want to try yeah. this uh to to support them in that regard well there's uh, in- incredible things in the in the reader um you know always great stories in the whatever 13 years you've been there obviously you've seen a lot of changes there what's <laughs> what what's the current status of of the reader i mean is it is it doing well is it successful is it yeah i, I mean, mean we're we're 
we're in a rebuilding phase. We have a new publisher, yeah, uh, right. Saul, who's really great. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's shown me a lot of support. He's shown the whole staff so much support and care. And it's really, I think, has a real great understanding of of what makes this place distinctive and what makes it worth fighting for and, and mm-hmm. what is worth investing in it. Um, but we are in a rebuilding phase right now. We went mm-hmm. through so much. I mean, almost a year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A little more than a year ago, we almost... Mm-hmm. died at the hands of one of our co-owners right and you know the come down from that has been challenging for everyone and we lost a bunch of staffers in the process you know um there's i am the only full-time music journalist that working at a newspaper in chicago wow. uh so it's not like there are music writing music journalism jobs available to everyone in this city but for my colleagues who are focused on like investigative and hard news and mm-hmm. you know um where there are more opportunities are getting poached, <laughs> you know, like that's, mm-hmm. and and that will always, that will always happen, you know, bigger, bigger paylet, bigger outlets with more money that, uh, that can, you know, help, help a young up and coming writer, like become more financially stable. Um, will that, that will happen. Uh, mm-hmm. but I, I, I do feel good. We just hired a managing editor. Like we're in the middle of hiring more, um, more editors and more staffers. And so, hopefully in six months we'll have like we'll be fully staffed again in a way that uh you know i feel i i already feel confident about it but that mm-hmm. um, yeah once we get more people on on board I'm, I'm looking forward to that what's uh what's made you stay i mean you've been there 13 years so what's what about it has been something that's made you i'm sure you've had offers over the years to like hey come write music here or do this or do that so like why uh, why stay the know, reader in infrequently is, is <laughs> yeah, infrequently. No, uh, we don't have to know the infrequent part. We're sure, to yeah, yeah. Right but now. I mean, but it is infrequent. I mean, uh, I, I think part of it is the like I get a lot of enrichment. I get a lot of joy out of out of the work that I'm able to do, and I can't do that anywhere else. You know, mm-hmm. that I can do journalism other places. I can sure. maybe do music journalism other places. I can't write 5,000 words about Jim's grill and like, <laughs> post rock anywhere else, y- you know, yeah, like, right. Um, I can pursue that on the side. You know, I'm not really pursuing much on the side these days. That isn't like freelance work because it's just, it's sometimes I don't want to look at a computer. It's, it's, it is, uh, it is a real gift to be able to have all this time to focus on mm-hmm. music in the city and focus on mm-hmm. it in the most, you know, esoteric, obscenely esoteric ways that I can uh, <laughs> because I think it's enriching and valuable and you can't find it anywhere else. Um, so if somebody else, you know, like I wish more of these jobs existed out there, but that has mm-hmm. been a key. And I love working with my editor. Philip is an mm-hmm. incredible editor and I love working with my colleagues there. I can do again. Yeah. I can just do s- stories that I'm not going to be able to do anywhere else. And whenever I leave like that is, uh, that is something that I will have to come to terms with is that like, that will be a, uh, a, you know, a hobby maybe depending <laughs> on what, it, you know, I don't, I, who knows. Uh, but you, yeah, you, I, you don't have to tell us what it is, but is there a, st- a story that you've wanted to pitch or you've been working on pitching that you just haven't found somebody who would say yes to it, but you're, you're never giving it up. The, um, I mean, there are a bunch of stories. It's not necessarily that that nobody said yes to it. It's like making the time for it, or it's uh-huh. such an extreme thing that, like, 
finding the yeah finding the time to be able to focus on that one of the, one of which is like an ongoing piece that i've i've a dream piece is about wesley willis uh-huh. and and kind of the good. intersection of his visual art and music as sort of a diaristic reflection of his experiences in the city mm-hmm. and talk tracking down people who have his art and sure and refl- having their reflections i mean his you know if you uh derek erdman who is an old neighbor of mine um uh he's you know, uh, a really funny artist uh, in Chicago. Uh, his website has hundreds of uh, he's he's uploaded MP3s of almost all of Wesley's self-released music. Oh, and that's great. All of those, you know, so many of his songs are named after people in his life. And I love that. I love that, mm-hmm. that it's this mm-hmm. diary of, of his experience in this city and the people that he cares about. And he is, I think, a really fascinating symbol of mm-hmm. music in Chicago for his particular period. And um, being able to write at length about him and his, you know, his mental health challenges in a way that he's not a sure. sideshow, sure. as mm-hmm. he was often, you know, described in in music and, and was kind of the weird draw for him as a musician. Um, and being able to appreciate the 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 value of his music, but also his art, like his visual art, I think is incredible. Um, uh, so I've done some interviews for that and mm-hmm. I've written about him periodically when there's like an obvious hook, but it's like, mm-hmm. that is a really small portion of like a much larger story. Yeah. Um, I mean, his, his like one of the, one of the first people to really like take him in as a creative force, like brought him to IIT and like he, he spent all of his time at IIT, like in architecture classes. So his like status as like an outsider artist is, is, isn't necessarily true he was picking up like fundamentals of of mm-hmm. architecture he was doing drafting mm-hmm. uh, wow. so being able to 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 kind of like reinforce the actual narrative instead of the the, the myth while also like engaging yeah. with some of the mythos around him uh like he yeah he is such a fascinating figure that transcended so many different eras of chicago music and and so many different communities that's like you know that is uh, that's a book that i'm describing so sure. how do I, <laughs> right yeah, right yeah um, yeah yeah so i've talked to several to many people about wanting to pursue this for years yeah maybe one day now i'm getting i'm getting better at being able to crank out is not the right word but i can you know i uh i think i spent two weeks working on my last feature that's coming out this week and it's 4,500 words and it's another deep dive. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I certainly could have used more time, but I'm, I'm able to do this a lot more confidently and a lot easier than I did even to 10,000 hours thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're getting getting better at your craft. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Are you working on book ideas too? Is that something you'd like to be doing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I need to actually like sit down and and Mm -hmm. write, a formal proposal but yeah again between um you know i i um this past winter i wrote twenty five thousand words just on two freelance projects wow um uh which you know it took a lot out of me in addition mm-hmm. to working full-time so like yeah. i'm you know i'm in a stage of like slight burnout like i'm a little crispy on the edges so i could use like a little bit of downtime so i could actually work on a book proposal but i know that i can write at length you know um Mm -hmm. uh yeah those two things were numero freelance liner note projects that um should hopefully be coming out later this year so cool nice well i can't wait that's a tease i'm excited exactly (laughs) yeah uh 
one last question before we get to our Chicago questions. So was there a moment, I mean, you've written for, for pitchfork, you've written for rolling stone, you've written for spin. Was there a moment where you're like, shit, like I'm like made it, you know, like this is amazing. Like I am living my dream right now. Um, I think when I could, I think when I joined the staff at the reader, because I wasn't like, it didn't feel like I, I was like waiting on a paycheck to like, yeah. you know, the possibility mm-hmm. of not paying rent was like, I, I, I became comfortable, comfortable mm-hmm. for me at like, what was that? 25, 26, 27. You know, I didn't need much. I still don't necessarily need much. I don't have like a kid. Um, uh, but you know, like I could buy books, you know, like I could yeah. buy mm-hmm things that i considered frivolous before i don't think books are frivolous everyone should read books <laughs> yeah. um uh yeah. you know i wasn't no, I, I know what you mean yeah yeah i could eat out you know they're they're yeah. um uh it felt luxurious in that way i mm-hmm. you know um the fear of of not paying basic utilities sure. didn't mm-hmm. exist and the fact that i was getting that from music right from writing about music was pretty pretty amazing so that was that was really it you know the bylines are cool don't get me wrong i was very excited yeah. sure. mm-hmm. very excited whenever i got like a new you know byline at a place that i like i loved but um yeah the fact that <laughs> stability is is yeah. not underrated right right exactly yeah yeah, yeah. take some of the pressure uh, off yeah, for sure. So we're going to start with this Chicago question. Are you a Chicago lifer? You're a transplant. Are you a lifer? Yeah, I, I love it here. Uh, yeah, right. my wife loves it here. She's not from Chicago. She's from Vermont, but we both, this is our, this is our home. You awesome. Know? Mm-hmm. Good. Um, yeah, we, yeah. I like, I can't imagine living anywhere else. They're awesome. Other places are nice. They're nice to visit. They're nice <laughs> to stay for a little while, but um, this is where we have, well, yeah, we built a home here that is reflective of our of our values. Like there's community here that exists mm-hmm. that we are happy to be a part of. So yeah, I love it. Okay, good. Good answer. Uh, <laughs> so to give a little bit more context, uh, this is a part where we ask a lot of random Chicago questions and you feel free to add as much or as little context to them as you want. So yep. the next one is, uh, you know, people love their pizza here in Chicago. Are you a thick deep dish, like thick being deep dish or thin crust pizza fan? Can I say both? Yeah, for sure. Can. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't eat dish, deep dish that regularly and I love tavern cut and, mm-hmm. you know, but when I do eat deep dish, I, I certainly enjoy it. You know, yeah. I'm a, I'm yeah. a sucker for with, without giving anything away and you don't have to name it if you don't feel comfortable. What is like your go-to uh, tavern or thin crust pizza place? Man, uh, I'd say Marie's uh, yeah. Pizza and Liquors, but on, uh, my wife out and I west are, on Lawrence. are concerned that it's like we passed. I by saw you up. tweet this today. Yeah. Yes, yes. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's open anymore. It it uh it seems like it might be, but we passed by there on Saturday and Friday nights, and we're just like, why is it completely dark in there? This doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. I think they're finally renovating the inside. I hope so. A friend, a friend <laughs> shared with me that there was a a Pipe, uh, like a, a water pipe that burst recently so maybe that's oh, okay okay that's why it would yep. kill me um i mean part of part of what i love about that place is the ambiance yeah um but the, yeah i really enjoy their tavern crust awesome yeah, it's a good spot yeah uh favorite venue to see a show at in the city god i mean that is challenging now mm-hmm. given my my current predilection sure um man oh god that's uh oh you can pass if you need to pass or you can yeah. name or you can name yeah. more than Just one name a couple. Yeah. 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 I mean, I love Lincoln Hall. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I remember the weekend it opened and I went to see Ted Leo there and I could walk from my Lincoln Park apartment mm-hmm. to it. It wow. is, you know, uh, yeah. And yeah, I loved. 
yeah i love i love going to see shows that the the music the the sound is spectacular in that space yes it is uh, it's, yep. it's hard to similar with thalia hall i love mm-hmm. i love the sound of in thalia hall um i love the empty bottle you know like if, even even the places that don't sound great i love i don't know yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a hard yeah. one yeah. yes you, come on guys <laughs> no, okay so <laughs> sorry um <laughs> no i'm kidding i'm kidding please continue no <laughs> Uh, I'm you you've you've peppered this answer throughout so I'm gonna reorient it a little bit and talk about bands so like it seems like right now there's like an up-and-coming wave of Chicago bands uh, like a lot of really young awesome bands like I don't want to leave anybody out so but I will just say like you know like life guard right like uh, horse girl did I say that right yep yeah horse girl I've seen them I've seen them and I always mess it up like rap boys people like that so is there like some connectivity connective tissue between these bands like what do you think makes them unique like what do you think makes the chicago music scene unique you know the um you mentioned lifeguard and horse girl there's yeah there's they're part of oh i know what connects them yeah 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 yeah, exactly (laughs) right yeah um and i love i love that lifeguard uh, you know all those bands have a lot of the teen bands have parents who have Mm -hmm. started out playing music when they were their age and are really encouraging of their kids. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the newer bands in that wider teen scene, they played the second Hollow Gallo Fest. Like there were two Hollow Gallo Fests this year. The second one was, was announced like very last minute. It was the same night as the Reader's Best of Chicago Party. Otherwise, I would have tried to go to that. Uh, it's this band called uh, Uniflora, I think is how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. And the front person's dad is John Dukin, who is has been involved in so many bands uh might be best known as the drummer for chisel which recently reunited okay. um yeah, yeah, funded yeah. by ted leo mm-hmm. uh he was also an edsel he's a he's a dc guy he and i've connected about that because you know i read the washington city paper when he was on staff at the washington city paper oh no way uh, yeah yeah and he lives he lives out here and so it's it's really cool that his kid is you know one of his kids getting involved in that and john recorded their demo uh there's a new band in that wider scene called dearest friends that put out dearest d-e-e-r-e-s-t um they mm-hmm. put out an album last week it's very El- elephant sixy uh it's okay. a couple of members of dwell like troop who uh kai from lifeguard mm-hmm. also of sharp pins uh was part of that band like yeah mm-hmm. the that that particular scene is so youth driven and youth oriented mm-hmm. and and kind of celebratory of all ages and really um, I don't want to say retrospective because they're not like nostalgic for a previous era, but yeah. they do take a lot of influence from the 80s mm-hmm. and 90s underground, which is really yeah. cool because what they're doing, you know, Lifeguard obviously has like touchstones that are from the 80s, but uh, mm-hmm. I can't think of another band that sounds like them. Uh, right. Yeah. With Horse Girl. Yeah. Um, so there, there's, and a lot of these bands, you mentioned Rap Boys. Rap Boys came out of like a South Southern yeah, suburban South DIY suburbs. scene. Yeah. You know, Never they forced, played, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And they played Nambi's Pancake House. They played mm-hmm. Nambi's House. You know, like yeah. they're part of a community that mm-hmm. has grown and, and is, you know, now part of, uh, I think, like a pretty important part of Chicago music as a whole. Um, yeah. And, you know, to the degree that all these bands like know and interact with each other is a little bit unknown to me. Uh, I can't, you know, I can't be in their lives all of the time, <laughs> but I do see the connections and I do mm-hmm. see the support that they give each other. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, there's kind of like an, an openness to that, that I think is yeah. really wonderful to see. Yeah. 
Agreed. Awesome. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't say the thing that brought us together was was uh, talking about, okay, cool. So can't leave yeah. them out. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, they're, and they're part of a really interesting, like, you know, mid to late 20s scene mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, Nora Marks is part of yeah. that. The Pink Squeeze is part Again, of that. Like Run Club. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so cool. That's like, that is a very distinctive subsect of, like, mm-hmm. you know, the wider indie yeah. scene in Chicago. Yeah. Man, they're so good. Uh, all right. I could talk all day about that. Uh, <laughs> what have you been listening to lately? Anything Chicago centric or anything oh, in general? I mean, always something Chicago. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> the dearest answer. the dearest friends record that I, I yeah. mentioned uh, is is really great, and I really recommend that. I have an I have an ongoing spreadsheet that of of albums that I've listened to for the first time that I keep updating whenever I listen to something new, and I am going to cheat and look at it right now. Yeah. Um, uh, the Jimmy Jimmy Whispers, who's formerly a Chicagoan, he's been out in LA for like six years, but he put on an album last week. He's going to be headlining the empty bottle doing like a sort of record release show in a couple mm. of weeks. Um, the search for God, it's a lot cleaner and more pristine than his like home recordings, which had a, uh, kind of a Daniel Johnston style, mm-hmm. like, uh, that I, that I really love. And that still exists in this new recordings, but it's a little more, uh, God, what is the word that I'm thinking of? Um, it's weary. It's a little wearier, uh, mm-hmm. which isn't a bad thing, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's different. It's taking me some getting used to, but I, yeah, I like what he's the direction that he's going in. Um, man, the bully album, I listened to a bunch recently. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's great. Uh, God, what else do I, have? <laughs> I, I really <laughs> love the people yeah. on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I try to keep up with everything that's happening. The Janelle Monet, I listen to a bunch. Mm-hmm. I am, I think it's silly. Uh, you know the music is incredible on there, but her lyrics are just like all over the place. Uh, I get, <laughs> I, I, I get, I get the, yet. I get the point of it. Uh, it's not my favorite of hers, and I think yeah, she's, she's really going for it. Yeah, she is really going for it, and I appreciate that. It's not not what I need uh, right now. I think as <laughs> sure. as a listener, sure. uh, but yeah. I, I mean, I think the instrumentation on the album is incredible, which is also why when like as soon as she starts she starts like singing like is this this isn't doing it for like there's something (laughs) missing here that's when i whenever something's like that far off from you i'm like well maybe i'm just not their target demographic (laughs) it's a me thing i get like i totally get what she's doing and i can appreciate that she's like she this is a curveball for her Mm -hmm. um i don't know yeah i don't know maybe maybe i'll come around to it at some point um (laughs) maybe you won't and that's okay too maybe i won't I really yeah. like her dirty computer. I think is a fantastic album. So again, this is like just the, it's a jarring shift and I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, it's not, mm-hmm. something isn't clicking. <laughs> uh, so you have, let's say you have friends or family coming to town. Who've never been to Chicago before. What are, what is like the one thing you're like, I have to show you this man. Um, I like to take people to the Chicago, chicago cultural center and the harold yeah. washington library mm-hmm. one it's like a nice walk between the two in mm-hmm. uh in the loop and it's a nice way to like kind of see the architecture on sure. on your feet but the chicago cultural center has fantastic exhibits yep yeah. uh it's a beautiful space it's always great to be in there and see what's happening and yeah the harold washington library is just i love that library um and also uh, like a really fascinating space and mm-hmm. um a little more selfish for me because I like digging through the archives that are available there. And that's not necessarily <laughs> something to show somebody who's visiting, but right. Um, um, you know, they need to adjust to you too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you know, <laughs> if you're going to be downtown, 
it's a nice way to get a sense of the character of the city of that particular part of the city yeah, without sure. like going to the tourist attractions yeah uh, i love it that feels yeah it feels a little bit off the beaten path it's yeah it's great it's a really cool idea yeah i'm gonna yeah. have to do that like i'm gonna have to spend a saturday doing that i yeah if i run into you um you know you'll know why oh yeah also uh <laughs> harold washington library the eighth floor has all the copies of chicago entertainer if you're of illinois entertainer so if you're ever interested in well, like the the archive the music archives there are fantastic uh awesome I've dug through some really cool shit there awesome yeah. wow even more reason to go yeah. yeah um all right so this is my second to last question but this is my favorite question which is uh we are fans despite us drinking water right now we are fans of cheap drinks um whether that be like pbr or, or you know high life or what what have you and if you don't drink mm-hmm. that's totally fine too uh what is your go-to cheap drink yeah i'm straight edge so you know okay um, there you go eight- it used Wild to be, Bills. That was that was Dan Ozzy's. Man, I um yes, especially when I was when I moved out here and was going to show going to DIY shows, especially at Strange Light. I developed this habit of going to like a nearby Seven Eleven and drinking in Arizona because that would just, like, <laughs> get me Fuck through. Yeah. That. I don't I don't know yeah. that I could drink an entire can well, of Arizona. A, it's anymore. cheap. <laughs> yeah, and B, it's gonna it's gonna get you going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it definitely. That. That's awesome. It. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I was just at, uh, I tutor, I volunteer with tutoring Chicago and I was at my, my eighth grade student. I've been with him since second grade. The story will make sense in a second. Uh, and I was at his, his eighth grade graduation party this past weekend and his mom was giving me a tour of the house and she pulls out a can of, of Arizona iced tea. And she's like, for some reason he's collecting these now. Like I threw them in the <laughs> trash and he went and got them and brought them back. So <laughs> they're rules. cool. They're cool with the use. Yeah. He, yeah. he yeah. absolutely rules. Shout out to Joshua. Yeah. Could be a story here. Yeah, 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 I think yeah. so. Yeah, you need to interview them. You let me know. <laughs> young uh, people, yes, <laughs> young people, yes. they're still they're just like us, right? Uh, all right. My last question is: Is there anything you want to plug on your way out? So you have a long form article coming out. This is this are, this will air July. It's June, right? July first. So it may 1st. be out by the time that uh, we post it. God, man, that is yeah. Oh, that'll definitely be up because the story is coming out this week. It's um. Uh, it's about this uh, not early 90s Chicago hip hop group called He Who Walks Three Ways, which was kind of the in-house band for the first really pivotal open mic series okay. that united uh, that sounds amazing. The grassroots Chicago scene. Mm-hmm. And so this is for the pride issue um, because two of the members of this four person group are bisexual. Wow. And that aspect for that era that, that had to have been like crazy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And also interestingly, it was their DJ, who's one of the two members who's bisexual, is the first female dj in chicago house history wow started djing in the 80s Mm -hmm. and and was like winning battles and and getting residencies like in the early 80s like before house really kind of had a uh an identity that you could call house music Mm -hmm. Um, i was to make a really bad joke and say oh when it was apartment Uh, yeah (laughs) yeah sorry uh yeah so that's been really fun to work on and kind of and untangle that history and um you know another aspect of that and i'm i'll stop blathering about this but no, the no. like the go-to dj like on-air dj at whpk um who who basically like helped make that station the place for chicago hip-hop like that's where kanye and common had their mm-hmm. you know famous on-air battle was at yeah. whpk on jp chill's show jp was closeted for 
most of you know up until his his mid 40s so he was closet the entire time he was doing that show mm-hmm. and wow. so being able to talk to him about that you know that part of his of his life yeah, yeah. Was really fascinating um uh yeah yeah so it was a it was a fun story to work on um and yeah that should be out have been out for several weeks but by, by the time right. this comes out. amazing uh by the time this is out i don't know this i don't i'm trying not to get ahead of myself but yeah i i did two recent liner notes projects for numero group it looks okay. like one of them might be out by by july um uh yeah i did liner notes for uh this group pod valiant um mm-hmm. which was a part of the the bay area punk scene in the late 80s and early 90s uh previously known as the vagrants they became pod valiant in the early 90s okay. and issued this one like really incredible shoegaze album wow. uh yeah like like shoegaze like that mix of shoegaze and emo that is like mm-hmm totally a thing now mm-hmm. um uh so yeah i did like a i think six thousand some word wow liner wow. notes thing and numero last week at their to to like encourage people to come to their factory stores like here's some new stuff that is only available in the store and one of them was the you know a pot valiant record that like i was like oh is that it I, that might be the thing yeah that i worked on uh-huh. <laughs> hopefully you know hopefully that'll be widely available by that point um cool yeah so if we want to read your stuff, we should be going checking out the reader, chicagoreader.com, yes. Chicago getting the reader in, you know, getting a physical copy or uh, checking out on Twitter at I'm Lior, right? And I'm sorry about that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> your Twitter presence is great, man. I okay, oh, yeah. really enjoy oh, yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Yep. Excellent. Okay. I think I'm annoying sometimes. But <laughs> that's I very much disagree. Well, your American football TikTok thing today really cracked me up. Thank you. Yeah. My friend Matt yeah. sent that to me last night and it's it's so good. Yeah, for those who don't know, it's a guy playing spoons to Never Meant by uh-huh. American football. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Leo. We appreciate your time. Um, thank you, guys. Hopefully, yeah. we see you out there somewhere. Yeah, in an yeah. Outdoor I, show I'm, this summer. I'm going to be going to outdoor shows this summer. Okay, right? yeah, right. I'm not holed up in my house. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you guys so much. It was yeah. so fun. It was so nice to meet you too. Yeah, awesome. I'll take care. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening today. We are No Wristbands. We drink for free. Music, of course, has been provided by Merlin Wall. Please check them out on Spotify or on Bandcamp. Please also subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at No Wristbands and check out our website at NoWristbands.com.